It's so good to be back. I was here about five years ago, and you know, this is the fourth service, right? One last night, three today. And people are saying, well, I, why do you do that four times? I go, are you kidding? To sit in such a treasure house of worship, joy, life, love, it's just like, bring it on. And uh, I was so blessed by the worship and, and just the life and the engagement, just, just everywhere around. So I'm just so happy to be here. Uh, I wanted to just speak just for a moment about uh, what Terry was referring to, this, this transition that's happened in our life. Yes, we pastored for, well, 30 years, 27 in the last place where we started the church. And uh, it's always kind of a curious thing. He says, well, why did you stop pastoring? I said, well... You know, like in an official sense, I suppose I did. You know, like I, I you know, my shingle's not hanging outside that locale anymore. But, uh, you know, Val and I are, we're pastors from the inside out. We love being with people. And it was really interesting, uh, about five years ago, we were taking a drive that I bet you quite a few of you have taken over the Tioga Pass, the Tuolumne Meadows. And we were right there by the market and we were, just passed the market, got some food, and we were having like one of those like perfect deep talks, like the ones that, you know, always get interrupted by phones or other people's needs, whatever, and like about life, about our life, and about what we sensed was in us and where we were at. A lot of water had gone under the bridge at that time. We'd been ministering a lot, and, and uh, we were checking in, and it was really fascinating. I loved it. It same time, same place, we both ended up saying the same thing. We said, we both believed there was something further that was yet to be expressed through our life. And it wasn't about anything that we were dissatisfied about. I, I think I pastored such an, a phenomenal group of people and had such a great experience pastoring and, and loved it and have so many great stories and watching God show up. It was great, all great memories. And... There was something inside me. It was like, there's something else. Well, I don't know if you can relate to this. I bet you you can. I didn't know, I didn't have any words to describe the something else. How frustrating is that? A wordsmith that's usually used to putting words on things. I could, I could just kind of tell you this notion. And Val had the same notion. I said, well, let's start trying to put words to it. And so we did eke out this much but, you know, before we got to Yosemite. We knew we wanted to spend the second half of our life more with people who were yet to believe than we had on the first half. Because most of our life, most of our time was helping people grow in their faith, people who already had discovered the joy and the treasure there is in knowing Christ and, and really assisting them and supporting them and pastoring them through the seasons of life. And uh, that was all good. But I, you know, I said, I want to spend more of my time in the second half with people who have yet to believe. And I don't know how that looks. And believe me, we didn't have any quick answers to that notion. And it took time of us just talking and processing and discovering. And where it ended up is we actually ended up creating this coaching company and training company to, it's really what I call the container for us to be with people in a way that makes a difference. And what it's done, it's afforded us opportunities of being with people, quite honestly, we would never have been with places we would never have traveled, situations, organizations. We just never would have been, quote unquote, invited into. And it's been such a great thing to be on this journey of literally turning off the money. We literally turned off the money, like every dime, 
we, we had nothing to fall back on, and we just struck out, you know, we weren't quite as old as Abraham and Sarah, but it felt like it. Uh, when we started over, if you know what I mean, we're like going, really, God? We're really going to start from scratch, and, you know, in our mid to later 50s? Are you kidding? Like, really? Okay, here we go. And we called it Awake Coaching because it came, it, for us, it came out of a scripture where it was like the night's far spent. Wake up. It's out of the 13th chapter of the book of Romans. And we felt like we were waking up in a fresh way to something new, some new expression of God's love and life through us. So it's so good to be on that journey. Well, the last two and a half years, we moved, by the way. Some people say we moved to a different state. We just moved from Southern California to Northern California. Uh, and what a great change that's been. Uh, we, we, are you kidding? We get to. We get to live here. It was, we live in uh, Santa Rosa. And it was so great driving to work this morning and uh, through all the beauty and, and just recollecting over God's goodness to us. But this last two and a half years has looked far different than the decades before. And the best way I would describe it is it's, it's looked so different in terms of how uh, I am with people. I've always loved people, I'll tell you that. And I've loved being with people, but the last two and a half years have been so completely at another level. I just can't even tell you. I'm going to try. When Terry uh, met with me and he said, hey, Doug, you haven't been here you know, in quite a while. Why don't you come and speak at the summer series? I said, well, what's the series on? He had no idea really what was up in my life, like what was really the pulse of what was going on in my life these last few years. I said, tell me the series title. And he says, well, it's called Shine, Sharing Jesus Naturally. And I like go, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Tell me. He says, no, that's really it. I says, I couldn't even think of a more perfect fit for me at this time. Now, I'm so glad he didn't ask me to speak on this five years ago because there has been a lot of transformation that has transpired, and I want to talk about some of that. It hasn't always been this natural, I would say, to engage people in a natural way about Jesus for me. Let me give you a little thumbnail. When I was seven... There was somebody in my Sunday school class. I was in, also, my grandfather was also a pastor, something Terry and I share in common. And I loved my grandfather, loved going to church. And I remember in the Sunday school class, this one guy who was my Sunday school teacher, he shared about the love of Jesus. And he shared about the importance of opening my heart to that. And even though I was little, I probably hadn't, you know, killed anybody yet, uh, that I still needed to know Jesus personally. I got to tell you, I had a ka moment. You know what a ka-ching moment is, right? It's like it goes from just like concept land into this is down in my heart. This is like ka-ching. Seven years old, go figure. And I opened my heart up to Jesus then. I can remember running to my grandfather's office right before he preached. I didn't know it. He always interrupting him in those days. He never, never made me feel that way. I, Grandpa, Grandpa, I accepted Jesus today. And I can remember that. It's all so fresh in my mind. And it was real for me, folks. It was real. And... From 7 to 20, I would describe my life as kind of pretty uneventful. Yeah, some teenage shenanigans and whatever, you know, a little spice here, a little spice there. Uh, but by and large, no big, no big events that I think would be bookworthy. I will tell you this. From 7 to 20, I was dogged by this sense of uh, insecurity and this inability, this like obstacle to really accept the fact that God really did love me so deeply. 
It wasn't like an intellectual thing. Like if I took the test, I go, yes, God loved me. He sent his son to die for me. And I belong to him. And I'm going to heaven. I check all those things off. But there was this one box I couldn't check off. And it was this box of, I don't, it's like I don't feel like I can accept that level of acceptance. So my pathway became very clear through seven through ages 20, very clear of trying to earn and prove and uh, in a sense try to make people understand why I, I would be lovable or why I would be acceptable or I think you know what I'm talking about. All about the, the things I needed to do. But I could never do enough and the sense never went away. At 20, another man shared with me just this amazing moment out of, he was teaching the Bible on John chapter 13, and it was just talked about the love of God. And I would say that was a partial ka-ching moment. You know, like when the coin almost goes through the slot, but it gets kind of hung up, but it's like, oh, just drop all the way in. It was like something happened that interrupted some of that insecurity, some of that, 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 that obstacle for me of just accepting that God accepts me so completely. It wasn't quite there, but it was kind of there. And I got to tell you, that coin kind of stayed in that partial zone. Are you ready for this, folks, for about 30 years? It started to inch its way down, you know, over time. It kind of gave way, and I started, like, you know, through people and through reading things and through God's persistent, you know, he is very persistent, it's, it started, like, okay, maybe I could accept the fact that you really do accept me so completely, God. Like, really? Like, the good, bad, and the ugly. But it didn't quite drop into the zone quite yet. But at 50, when I left the ministry that I was pastoring at, and I moved to a place where nobody knew me, and I didn't have all that I knew around me, and all of my, you know, you talk about an identity shift, right? To, I'm just a guy in the street, a guy going to the store, a guy going to Starbucks, whatever it is, all of a sudden when that got stripped away, I gotta tell you something, that was scary at many levels and it was absolutely fantastic because ka-ching, for me it meant it completed the journey. It's like, I get it. I can't do anything to cause you to love me. I can't do anything to cause you to not love me. I can't do anything to cause you to accept me, and I can't do anything to cause you to not accept me. Like, really? And I accept it. Now, I, it didn't happen just like in a moment, but it happened. It's like it, it got down into the, the, the soil of my heart. I got it. Well, what I noticed is, is that when I started going out and you know, getting a cup of coffee or going to the store or going to groceries, whatever it was, wherever I went, wherever I was at, it was like I was like a people magnet. And it hadn't been that way before. Valerie would say, what is it about you? It's like somebody, talk to me about your life, is written on your forehead. I said, I know, it's really weird, isn't it? I mean, you've walked with me through all these seasons. You know, like, this is not typical. And she goes, she goes Doug, every day you come home with a new story, a new person. She says, it's like, I get it. It's crazy. And I started looking under the hood as what is this big shift that has gone on for me? And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. You know, when we moved to Santa Rosa, um, I will confess this about myself. I, I'm usually telling myself pretty readily, but I am such a stress case type A person. I need to study everything that's about relaxation, calming down, take it easy, because my natural, my natural inclination is just, uh, 
And so I was in this one like exercise class and the instructor's talking about the importance of breathing. I'm going, yeah, I'm a human being. I know the importance of breathing. She says, no, 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 no. You, you breathe shallow. You need to learn to breathe deep. Well, I was also a singer, so I understood the difference between you know, like little shallow breaths and deep breathing. So I said, okay, so I'll breathe deep. Okay, whoa, that produces a different experience. Yeah, it certainly does when you breathe deep. Well, then she'd say this weird thing. She says, well, now, now think about breathing out through the most stressed part of your body. And I wanted to say, well, that would be like all of me. <laughs> but I said, okay, we'll pick some, you know, we'll pick my whatever, my arm, my shoulder, or whatever it is. And, and what I noticed, it was really fascinating as I thought about that, is, is that breath wasn't just something that capacitated you in the sense of like, you know, life, but breath was also something that could release uh, tension. So helpful, and, and I need to remember that. In fact, do you remember in Karate Kid, you remember the character, Mr. Miyagi? He said to Daniel's son, really important advice. He said, Daniel, remember this, no breath, no life. And there's a lot about in our sharing our faith. I have to say, no breath, no life. And I want to talk to you about the, the underbelly. I want to talk to you about the dynamics of what I'm talking about, what we breathe in and what we breathe out and what really produces life, not only for ourselves but for other people. Take your uh, folders, and in there you'll see there's uh, a couple scriptures I selected for this message this morning. The first one's out of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. I'll read it. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. We'll read the second one in a moment. Now this was, for Jesus, a ka moment. <laughs> it was a suddenly moment. I think it's pretty typical after working with people for three decades plus that most of life is not suddenly moments. But we have these suddenly moments, and then in between them is the unpacking of the suddenly over a lot of gradual. And this is one of those moments in Jesus' life, he had them too, where all of a sudden, here he is, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all recorded at the beginning of their Gospels. It's no accident, it's at the beginning. I'll tell you why in a moment. But at the beginning of the Gospels, it's recorded that He's baptized, and here is this voice, this actual audible voice that comes through the heavens saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Well, I'm going to suggest to you at that point, Jesus breathed in deeply his belovedness. It wasn't just an intellectual thing. It wasn't something he hadn't considered prior to that time. You know, we know that he had studied scripture. We know that he had been faithful in all those hidden years up to the time he was 30. It's not the first time he thought about being loved by the Father. It's not, not the first time. But that day, something happened for him where there was, if you'll just allow the metaphor, there was a breathing deeply that he, yes, yes. It's not just a voice that's saying it, but inside me, I'm saying a big yes to the voice. That yes, I am the beloved son in whom you are well pleased. I'm going to say that's the first half of this message in a nutshell. This is the first half of what I want you to really take to heart. Is, is that if you want to think about sharing Jesus naturally, look at Jesus himself because he's the most natural sharer of himself that there would be. 
So let's look at how he did it. Why did people follow him in masses of people? Why did he find entrance into all sorts of different settings and different types of people with different hangups and different, you know, all that stuff? As Jesus seems, if you notice, he just kind of like moves right on in. Well, I believe at the very basis of this was Jesus' acceptance, his big internal yes that he said to the Father's love for him. Now, it's also important to recognize that after this record of this event of the father saying, you're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Right after that, Matthew, Mark and Luke all record the same thing happening. And that was, it says, Luke says he was driven out into the wilderness and there he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Isn't that interesting? This event and this event it is meant to be a contrast Two ways that we can live our life because you see in the wilderness, you know what the, the devil did is he came and he said, listen, you need to prove that you are lovable. You need to prove that you are who you are. You need to do something other than just accept what the father said. Well, let me tell you, I spent way too many years in wilderness kind of experiences trying to prove something that all the father wanted me to do was say, yes, I accept your acceptance. I accept, like Brennan Manning says in the quote that I provided for you, that folder uses the phrase, I accept your indiscriminate compassion. I accept your, your love towards me, good, bad, and ugly. I accept it. I say yes to it. Jesus said yes to it. You know, the devil in the wilderness, he was saying, do something extra. Do something to prove it. Add something to it. Two ways of living. Now, I'm going to suggest if we are living in this kind of reality of trying to prove something to God or to other people in order to be long, in order to be accepted, in order to be loved, that's the way we're going to relate to people. We're going to relate to people the same way we relate to ourselves. We put ourselves in categories and on standards and on criteria. That's probably how we're going, the same way we are with ourselves, we're going to be with other people. But what did Jesus do? Jesus just said, I'm going to suggest, yes, Father, I'm loved. I am the accepted one. I am. I do belong. So, I have to tell you, that really sets up for a natural engagement with people, which brings us to this other text out of Luke. Read with me here. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up. And by the way, Levi is the same person as Matthew. Same, you know, same person. So he got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So here's the second half. You see... In that time, in that place, what you see is you see in the setting that the Pharisees and the scribes and these religious leaders, they were people who had professionally categorized who was in and who was out, who belonged and who didn't, 
who was accepted and who was not accepted. And it was based upon certain standards, certain purity standards. Did you wash your hands in a certain way? Did you gather the food in a certain way? Did you do this on the Sabbath in a certain way? Did you not do this? Based on the do's and the do nots. Based on all these, these system of criteria. And if you didn't do that, you were in some category. You might be an outcast or you might be what they called a sinner. Which a sinner was a technical term designating somebody who was impure. Ceremonially impure. And so you couldn't be hung out with either. Can you imagine? There were more outcasts and sinners than there were people on the inside crowd. Jesus sees this whole shenanigan. Jesus sees the... The, the dead in thinking, and he sees how so much is being shut down for people, and he came actually to seek and to save people. He came to make a difference in people's lives. He came to intersect people where they're at and to invite them into a remarkable relationship with the Father. But he saw that all these systems were in the way, so what does Jesus do? <laughs> he just walks right in to Levi's house, and he does in the culture, in the social setting at the time, one of the most outrageous things, talk about outrageous, he sat down and he shared a meal with Levi and the people he had gathered. In our time, that means very little. At that time, in Middle Eastern culture, to actually sit at the table with someone, to share a meal, was the most intimate statement of acceptance and friendship. Now remember, Jesus also said, he says, I only say what I hear the Father saying. I only do what I see the Father doing. I tell you this, what Jesus saw, what the Father was doing that day in Levi's house was sending forth a message of, I accept you. I love you. I care about you more than you possibly could imagine. And Jesus acted that out in his actual choices of the way he was with them. And that's why it caused such outrage because the other people were saying, they don't belong. And Jesus was saying, they do belong. They're accepted. Now, this is the same Jesus. Now, just understand. Can you imagine if you met Jesus on the streets of Jerusalem or Nazareth or somewhere in between? Can you imagine any engagement with Jesus? You always knew that you were loved and you always knew, you always knew you were accepted. He was never afraid to convey the fact that you were loved and accepted. He was not afraid of any confusion about, well, I wonder what they'll think about that or what, you know, what they'll make up about that. Because in that context of being accepted, he could also say, listen, come and follow me. Or he could say, go and sin no more. Or he would, say, he would be able to then touch the parts of their life that were out of alignment with God's purposes, choices, and patterns, and lifestyles, but he did it in a context of them being radically loved and accepted. And I gotta tell you, when you have that experience with someone, you can say a lot of things that you can't say otherwise. Because you can say those same things, but if you're withholding love, and it's conditional, and it's based on a criteria, and you're trying to get people to jump through the hoops and perform, they'll get it. And their hearing will not be generous to hear really what you're talking about. And this, Jesus was truth spoken in, in love at all times. I just think to myself, he was never driven by fear. Scripture says that perfect love casts out fear. If you were around Jesus, he, being around him, he just pushed away the insecurities of your, of your life. He pushed away all of that fear of being accepted or fear of belonging. I tell you, anybody who was around him, 
start, it immediately began to permeate their soul. They belonged. And I believe this is the part, this is the second part. If one is to breathe in our belovedness and to breathe it in deep and let it just saturate your being, the other then is, is when you're with people is to breathe out their acceptedness. Like to breathe out that they're loved. Folks, may I say, indiscriminately, indiscriminately just love people. This is the last two and a half years. I mean, I can hardly contain myself when it's the fourth service. <laughs> I just have to tell you, people are so hungry to be accepted. They're so hungry to be loved and to be cared for and to be regarded, to be respected and belong. And in that context, the most amazing conversations can transpire. I want to tell you about one. I was on a, a plane here just recently. Got on, Val and I got on a plane at SFO to fly back east to do some of our work. So we get on the plane, and uh, there's three seats in this particular plane. And so there's Val, and there's me, and there's the empty seat. And then this young man comes, and he sits down, I would say, like about 24, 25 years of age. I just got a soft spot in my heart for people in, at large, but particularly just young men and just where they're at in life. So much happened in my life at that time. He sits down, he cracks open this book, and I look down, being the nosy person that I am, I look down and I notice he's reading one of the ancient Greek fathers. And I'm thinking, myself, what are the chances that he would be reading the ancient Greek fathers? I would know what the ancient Greek fathers are, that I would know this ancient Greek father, and that I know actually what this guy wrote about. I go, phenomenal. I'm thinking, hmm, I wonder. So I go, I couldn't help but notice, excuse me, that you were reading the ancient Greek fathers. And he goes like this. And I thought, well, the body language was clear. I didn't have to go to school to understand that he wanted his space. And so I gave him his space for a few seconds. <laughs> and, and, and so then afterwards, I go, you know, I, I know that guy. And he goes, and I, I, I'm not sure what his motivation was. He says, well, you know, I studied Greek. And I go, oh, so did I. I know Greek. And he goes, really? And he goes, well, I studied Latin. And I go, oh, I know Latin, too. And he goes, you know Greek and Latin? I go, yeah, do you know Hebrew? And he says, no. I says, I got you. <laughs> so so he, goes, he goes, well, that's pretty odd. I said, remarkable, don't you think? Do you think it's by accident that you would have somebody by you who knows Greek, Hebrew, and Latin and knows what you're reading? And he goes, no, that's pretty weird. <laughs> so I said, well, I go, so I'm really fascinated. Are you fascinated? Like, if this wasn't an accident, then why would you be sitting next to me? And I sitting next to you, I have the slightest clue. Do you have a story to tell? He talked, Valerie will witness, five hours nonstop till the time the plane touched down <laughs> on the East Coast. But let me tell you, he didn't just talk, my friends. And I tell you, the underbelly of my heart was, oh, God, that he might know that he's accepted. I don't know who he is, what he's done, what he's doing, what he hasn't done, but just that he might know that you love him through some way of me being with him, that somebody could just be, you know, it could be like that for him. It could be like air that he doesn't even know he's breathing. Well, he's, he told me, he says, you know, I'm leaving a, a, a situation, a rendezvous that I meet this particular woman all over the world in secret places and you know it would be if a relationship was known it would end her career and in, in mine and I go really I go wow how fascinating I said 
So talk to me about that. How is, do you have a family? He said, yes. He said, well, what's life like with your family? He says, I'm completely estranged from your fa my family. I go, what do you mean estranged? He goes, they don't really know my life. I says, well, do you love your mother and your father? He says, I adore my mother and my father. And I went, I almost started crying. I said, what heartbreak to love someone and then to be so estranged. And then he told me about his brother whom he loved, who he, nobody knows anything that's going on in his life. And he's developed like this private life that he's been living in for years. And he's telling me all about it. He's telling me all the details. And I went, wow, this is remarkable. And as we were talking, it was so amazing. He says, he says, I have to ask you something. I said, what? And he says, but I have to tell you, I'm not a religious person. I said, that's not a problem. I'm not religious either. Keep talking. <laughs> and, and, and he said, he says, but I'm not even spiritual. I don't even know if there is a God. And I said, listen, it's not a problem. Just put your question out there. What's your question? He says, would you please, and I want you to tell you, these are the words he said. Would you please tell me what hell is? Can you believe that? I've never been asked anything that pointed in all my, I, and instantly, inside, here's me. Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, help. You know, like what do you say? It's like this is a deal breaker, you know? <laughs> like, like what you say, how you say it, you know, what his reaction's gonna be, oh, ah. And I, I said, and the first thing that popped in my mind was, I go, do you know the writer C.S. Lewis? He goes, I love Lewis. I said, good, that's a good thing. I go, Lewis said about hell, he said, hell is something that you choose every day and you're either in this journey becoming more hellish or more heaven-like through your choices. I go, what do you think about your life right now? He says, he was choosing hell. I said, I also believe it's a place. I believe it's also a final destination, but long before it's a destination, it's an experience in life. His follow-up question, are you ready for this? <laughs> Would you please tell me what sin and salvation is? He used those words. And I said to him, for a non-religious, non-spiritual person, you're asking very interesting questions. <laughs> and I told him, I said, listen, this is, how I, this is how I think about sin and salvation. I said, sin is everything that draws you away from God. And salvation is everything that draws you close to him. He looked at me as we ended this conversation. He says, I have to tell you something. He says, I have been so dishonest and I've carried such a burden. He says, and you could see the joy and the literally the change of his countenance over the course of this five hours. He said, I cannot tell you what I feel right now through just being honest with another person. He says, even though I think it's very strange, it's with a stranger on a plane. And I go, wow. I go, thank you for sharing so honestly. And I said, I have to tell you, it has been a rare experience for me to have anybody ever be this honest. You have been ruthlessly honest. And then he exchanged information with me. And he told me, he says, I know you could Google, you could do all sorts of things. You could cause me a lot of grief in my life right now. He says, but I trust you. I don't know why I do. Well, I know why he did. He trusted me because he was breathing air that he couldn't define. It was the air of God's presence. It was the air of God's love. It was the air of God's reach. It was, the, it, was, it was the environment created that started in that, say yes, Doug, to your beloved, and then be with people in a way 
to breathe out that acceptance to them and then interact with what's ever there. What's ever there. And I guarantee you, whatever you say, however you respond, however you talk about their life or what's needed or wanted or whatever, it's going to be heard completely differently. There's a new opportunity in that context. I want to leave you with this thought as we conclude. First of all, is that remember, it all starts with breathing in deeply your acceptance. The Bible says God so loved the world. We know that. But I want you to actually breathe in that God loves you. Not just the world, but he loves you. He loves the world of your life in the sense of the good, bad, and the ugly. It's not like he's accommodating anything that shouldn't be there. It's not like he's, he's winking at things, that, that choices that we shouldn't make. I'm not suggesting it, but I'm telling you that God loves you. So breathe it in deep before you go out of these doors, the next person you meet. And then when you're with people, look at it as an opportunity to breathe out that same gift to other people. People so need it. People are so looking for it, and they will hear you so differently. You want to talk about the greatest secret to sharing Jesus naturally. This is it that I know. I want to go back and end with Karate Kid. Could not have one more reference. <laughs> Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He said that to the disciples. He still says it to us as followers of him. Well, I believe it's not just some nifty technique on how to share truth. I think it was about saying a big yes to the fact that you're loved by the Father and then saying yes to people, letting them know they're accepted and then engaging them from that place. I think that's what he meant by it. Now, Mr. Miyagi, he said to Daniel's son, he said, listen, breathe in, breathe out. Remember to breathe. And then he said one last words. And remember, don't scare the fish. And I have to tell you, for far too long in my life, I scared too many people in my way of engaging them. And I think a lot of that that I produced was because I was still engaging so many of my own internal conversations of criteria and trying to prove something rather than just accept that God loves me. And so I want to invite you to just be with people in a way that doesn't scare them, but that invites them to the most wonderful relationship that could possibly ever have been conceived, conceived by God. Now the worship team, the band's going to come up and they're going to uh, sing a song. It's a song that I actually requested for them to do and it's a wonderful song about uh, breathing in the fragrance of God's love and having all of you just consumed <laughs> in the greatness of the love of God. And we're also going to have a time of giving so you can prepare for that. Would you pray with me? So Father, we just thank you in Jesus' name for loving us so deeply. Thank you for your persistence in continuing just to break down the pieces of resistance in us so that we, all of who we are, might be loved by all of who you are. Father, I pray for everyone here, whether they're just seeking, whether they're just inquiring, whether they're like the young man on the plane, or whether they're someone who's walked with you for many years, oh Lord. I pray wherever our starting point is, I pray it would all come into a big yes to what you're doing, whatever the next step towards you and in you is. In Jesus' name.